Hi everyone, I hope you're all doing well and managing to enjoy what's left of the summer whilst dodging the thunderstorms. It's great to be with you again today as we're coming into the last few weeks of this incredible journey we've been on. As we've been looking at the ways the Holy Spirit fueled the early church for pioneering mission. We've come all the way from Pentecost where the disciples were filled with the Spirit thinking about how we can be courageous, faithful people, prepared and excited to encounter God, to speak about him, to step into who we're called to be in him and to invite others on the journey with us. I've been loving this series week by week as we've been making our way through the book of Acts and I hope you have too. If you've missed any of the series from the past few weeks, don't forget you can head over to our YouTube channel and catch up or even just head over there to see how pleasing the pattern of different coloured backgrounds are when they're all in a row. Or maybe that's just me. Today we're looking at chapter 17 of the book of Acts as we think about the Holy Spirit giving us fuel for culture. How can we be people who faithfully follow Jesus whilst we encounter the culture we find ourselves in, which so often speaks in the opposite way to what we believe to be true? Let's start by reading the story in Acts 17. We pick up the story where Paul and Silas are still travelling from place to place, preaching the gospel. And now they've come to Athens, having been in northern Greece, where they were essentially chased out by a mob. And we pick up the story now at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets, or your own poets, sorry, have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. 
In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories that we read and that we get to be a part of by your Holy Spirit. Speak to us as we come to hear from you now. We're listening, Lord. Show us who you are and what you are calling us to do. Amen. So Paul is in Athens and he's essentially wandering about the cultural hubs of the day, the synagogue and the marketplace. Athens at this time was a place, it was the place to be if you're wanting to discuss philosophy and religion and people spent their days debating and listening to others debate on those topics. And there were those who followed Epicurus he taught that happiness and pleasure was the main purpose of life. Uh, God, or actually many gods, exist or existed, but weren't interested or particularly involved in humanity. And then there were the Stoics who believed that God was the world's soul and that the goal of life was to rise above all things so that you never showed emotional response to anything. Athens really was this melting pot of culture and philosophy and especially at the Areopagus, where Paul ends up. The Areopagus in Athens was a significant place. It was a high court, a place with various temples and other cultural facilities, and people would gather there to hear speeches and philosophical debates. Paul is under huge pressure when he's brought to the Areopagus. There's a sense of him being on trial here, as well as maybe a guest lecturer. People were intrigued to hear what he had to say, but definitely wary as they'd heard he'd been talking about a foreign god. And this is the first place I want to pause the story for a moment. I am fascinated by this idea of the Areopagus, this place where no one seemed to do anything other than share, listen to and debate ideas. Philosophy and religion was on everyone's lips all the time as people grappled with the biggest questions in life. It would have been fascinating to be there and hear these ideas being shared. Some of these ideas have massively influenced our thinking even today. But I couldn't help but ask myself, where is the equivalent of this in our culture? What is our Areopagus? Well, Pope John Paul II encouraged the church to think of all of our contemporary media as a modern Areopagus. And I guess that makes sense. It's the place where ideas are shared, debated, torn apart. Often it can be a brutal place too. And I get the impression the Areopagus wasn't the easiest place to hang out either. It's thought that the word Areopagus means the rock of Ares. And Ares was the god of war and the god of brutality in war specifically. This was a place where people came to wage war on each other's ideas to fight for what they thought was the most logical or most convincing argument for how to make sense of life. 
and the internet can self and be that place for us today, can't it? Everyone has an opinion. We almost feel it's our duty to share our opinions with anyone who will listen. When you hear or read what somebody else says online, whether it's a friend on Instagram or a journalist or a politician, it can often come across that they are totally convinced and sure of their idea and that they won't be swayed. But more and more, I am convinced that it's not really the case. So let's pick back up into the story. So Paul is at the Areopagus. I promise I'm going to stop saying that word in a minute. And he notices an altar and the altar says to an unknown God. The people in Athens, these philosophers who seem so sure of themselves and their ideas and philosophies have basically hedged their bets, making an altar to a God with no name, just in case they've missed anything out. Just in case all of their philosophies and gods and debates hadn't quite covered them. And Paul, in that moment, in front of them all, calls them out. He says, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Whoa. Paul sees his opportunity and uses it to boldly show them that this God they have been worshipping, this God with no name, is actually the God who made heaven and earth. He even quotes a Stoic philosopher back to them who said, we are his offspring. Paul is saying, yes, you are a child of God, but that God is not unknowable. He is not disinterested or distant. He has a name and you can call him by it. He wants to know you and be known by you. And the amazing thing is that we have the same opportunity in our culture today. As much as it seems like so many people know exactly what they think about life and where to find meaning, we see people all over the place making altars to unknown gods, to fame or money or success, hedging their bets just in case. And the Holy Spirit is filling us, fueling us to take our chance to speak into that. Not that we're the people who have all the answers, who have it all together, but that we know that God does have a name and his name is Jesus. We can know him. He's made himself known to us. He isn't a philosophy or a doctrine to be debated. He isn't something you need a degree to understand. He is a person we can have relationship with. As followers of Jesus, we have the privilege of speaking that truth into culture, where so many other toxic ideas are floating about. We get the joy and the freedom to say, I don't know, about a lot of stuff, because we don't need to always understand the ideas all the time, but we do need to get to know the person of Jesus. I just wanna pause here for a second and say, if you've never been introduced to Jesus before, if you've never met him, there is no better time than today. There is enormous comfort to be found in letting go of trying to figure out what the right ideas to follow are. Not that we should be ignorant people at all, but that we get to follow the most trustworthy person who will lead and guide us as we draw closer to him. You know, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you and fuel you, all of us, to have relationship with Jesus first and foremost. 
If you want to explore more what that might mean for you, please do jump on the Zoom prayer room in a few minutes and pray with someone. So we've talked about our modern Areopagus and where that might be, what our culture might look like. We've talked about where we might see the world building altars to unknown gods and that we can be fueled by the Holy Spirit to call God by his name and introduce him to others. The last bit of the story though is that Paul has a mixed reaction and I think this is something that's really important to notice as we have been going through this series. It says that some sneered at Paul's ideas. Some said they wanted to know more to hear him speak again and some decided to become followers. I don't know about you but often when we talk about the kind of subjects we've been covering in this series I find it easy to become discouraged that I have friends and family who I've been talking to about Jesus for years who still have very little interest. It feels like I'm doing it wrong. But even Paul got a mixed reception here. People didn't all fall on their knees and turn to Jesus. But Paul doesn't give up. In the next chapter of Acts, we find him in Corinth, back in the synagogues, trying to persuade people of the gospel. How does Paul do it when he could easily be so discouraged? You probably know what I'm going to say by now. Paul was fueled by the Holy Spirit, and we can be too. I want to encourage you and me today to pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit as we encounter those who are speaking into our culture, whether that's at work, as we watch TV or scroll our news feeds and social media, let's not get sucked into the brutal debates that rage on, but let's use our voices to point others to the God who has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, would you fuel us now to be people who follow you and who call others into relationship with you, Jesus. Father, we're so grateful that we get to be called your children. Help us, give us courage and boldness where we need it. Help us to be different voices in our culture that is often so noisy. We trust you, Jesus. We wanna follow you.